0: Sermons should last approximately 35 minutes, so I've been told. (laughs) Sermons should have no more than three points, so I've been told. Well, unfortunately for you, I've broken with that tradition. I've got seven points. I had a dry run, and Jane's heard this sermon about eight times now. (laughs) And I've sworn her to secrecy is just how long this will take. But I do notice one church member's already gone home. But fortunately, she did tell me beforehand. So the quicker I start, the quicker I'll be finished. I don't know if you've seen that TV programme, who, who, who Do You Think You Are? where they get a celebrity or someone pertaining to be a celebrity and they say, who do you think you are? And... Perhaps the person knows a bit about their ancestry, where their parents were born, their grandparents. Perhaps they've done a little bit of research, can go deeper than that. But the program is essentially all about finding out who this person's genealogy is, where they've come from, what was their background. And it's quite surprising. Sometimes these well-off people who, who, who think they're somebody, you find that they're great-great-great-great-grandfather was hung as a highwayman or something like that. (laughs) Or you get somebody like Boris, Boris Johnson who's way back is related to a king or something. So it's always interesting to find out where these people come from. Who do you think you are? So I thought that would be a good idea today to ask Jesus, who do you think you are? But... We haven't got Jesus here to answer it, but we have got his word written in the Bible. That's the important thing, his word is written in the Bible. These passages that I've chosen are well known to you. In fact, you see them every Sunday. They're on the walls here. So these are the seven points that I want to bring to you. Who am I? There was one there before... Before Abraham was, I am. I'm not doing that one. I'm doing the one over the serving hatch where Richie is. So that's if you're looking for that one. But you will notice in the hymns, bread of heaven and things like that, shine, Jesus, light of the world. That's why I've chosen those hymns. You need your Bibles open in John's Gospel, starting at chapter 6, which is on page 1069. 1069. Okay. Here we find um, the account of the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus has just fed these 5,000 people using five small loaves and two fishes. After the meal was finished, they collected 12 baskets of food. The chapter goes on to tell us about Jesus walking on the water and how the crowds went in search of him. In verse 26, Jesus said to them, You are not looking for me because of the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures eternal life. In verse 28, they ask him, what work must we do? And he gives this answer. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Then they ask for a sign. Do you remember when the tribe were in um, the desert, how God provided manna from heaven? So they asked for a sign, just like Moses had. Jesus then went on to say, God is the bread of heaven that's come down from heaven to earth. So the people said, give us this bread. So here's my first question to Jesus. Who do you think you are? The answer is in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty but as i told you you have seen me and still do not believe all those that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never drive away for i have come down from heaven not to do the will not to do my will but to do the will of he who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me That I should lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and will rise up on the last day. So Jesus' answer to who are you is, I am the bread of heaven. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Now, if bread is what we need to survive and to feel well and wholesome, that's fine. But the pursuit of bread can become complicated when we, that's us, start to think of our needs to include unnecessary things for true life. It would be as if the crowd speaking to Jesus asked him for an ice cream break. Would he serve that too? We live in a consumer society where clever advertising and works with this clever advertising and we are reasonably affluent, we have been given the means and the motivations to pursue countless forms of bread. If I simply profess possessed this car or Janex. Possess this expensive Dior dress, our self image would be better and my sense of safety and well being would improve. However, once we possess these things, of course, their appeal evaporates and we move on to new targets of gratification. Christians are not exempt from the material culture around us. We define the bread. That we need to live our lives in indulgences. The quest for bread has become twisted beyond all recognition. This explains the crowd's zeal when Jesus supplied bread miraculously. It's to bring it up to sort of modern day, it's if Bill Gates from Apple went down to the local school and started distributing the new iPhone 15 pluses. He would not be long before he would be awarded saintly saintly status for being so good and generous to the children and the people in Bonley. But after a short time, the scene might start to get ugly when everybody starts to crowd in. The miracle would actually overwhelm everybody. But more thoughtful people through the ages have always argued that material things of life do not provide the secret of true happiness. Even more, uh, even among the people who embrace an utterly pagan worldview and deep spiritual, in- sorry, deep spiritual instincts, lead them to explore everything from meditation to philosophy. The crowd in Galilee put a religious spin on the miracle of Jesus. This is the prophet who has come into the world. In the end, the people wanted to see a religious figure here, not a supplier of bread. When the human instinct for religion is unleashed, it really brings its true goal. Let's put it another way they attempted to take Jesus by force. They came to kidnap him, to promote him as a hero, and to make him a king, a figure in their own image and serve their agenda when christians pursue spiritual bread they are tempted to make jesus serve their religious agenda he is exploited and manipulated forged into an icon for a campaign or a venture the people agendas normally is very political and people want a king and jesus will do just fine if this prophet king can overthrow the roman domination of israel with the crowds help with the crowds help jesus will do just fine and be successful their concerns are good and legitimate but as this progresses it seems as if the emphasis of jesus falls to the background and political and social justice takes center stage evangelicals have taken Jesus by force as well. We identify social platforms, national security interests and moral crusades and we baptise them in the name of Jesus. Many of us have difficulty in being critical of these agendas since, for the most part, we agree with them. Would Jesus not take a hard line against Islam? Isn't he against the gay lobby? Wouldn't he march against abortion? Before we know it, we are carrying a flag with the cross, singing crusades songs and laying siege to our secular society. What would Jesus do? Now, he would be against what these groups stand for, but what about the people in these groups that we perhaps ostracise? What would Jesus do? The answer is in Matthew well Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples when the pharisees saw this they asked his disciples why why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners on hearing this jesus said it is not healthy it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick but go and learn what it means I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Let's ask Jesus again. Who do you think you are? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light the light of life. Well, I am in the world. I am the light of the world. We can find that in John eight, twelve, and 9, 5. Jesus splits his audience in two. those who follow him become passionate believers. Those who oppose him defend their tradition with zeal, suddenly become who defend their traditions with zeal, suddenly become opponents and enemies of god's work in this world. This passage warns the custodians of tradition that their differences of spiritual habit and rituals may well be their undoing. God's light is in him. There is no darkness at all. In 1 John, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, and he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Do we walk in the light? What traditions do I have? What traditions do you or the church have? What traditions are actually darknesses that we carry? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Quite stern warning, isn't it? Point number three. I don't know what you did with your children when they were young. But I know if you came down here on a Thursday, Tuesday morning, you will find Joan making an assessment. And I've got to write in something else here. She would be looking to see whether it was warm enough to go outside and perhaps i ought to put now dry enough considering what's happening. So she would want to take the top street tops outside. She has two decisions to make before letting the children out. Option one is to open that door over there and just shove them out the door. You'd probably like to do that sometimes. <laughs> very, soon, very soon the children would wander off and who knows what dangers they would find themselves in. Option two, which is what Joe does, is to shut the gate for the safety of the children and they can play quite safely out there within limited dangers without wandering off. But at the end of the day, Joe will open the gate so that children can be collected and go home. First of all, did you know that in the Bible, all of you are just sheep? It's interesting, isn't it? We are all like sheep and have gone astray. Each of us has turned from their own way. Now, I've been talking to lots of shepherds, and I know we've got Graham here that knows about sheep. And all sheep want to do is escape, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. and they follow the flock and they just want to get out and do their own thing so that's us here so let's ask Jesus again who do you think you are? who do you think you are? I am the gate for the sheep now that says door, but this is just simply a different translation all who have come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep have not listened to them I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pastures. The thief comes and steals and kills and destroys. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. We find that in 10.7 in John. What steals us away? Do we read books about the Bible more than the Bible itself? Do we come to church and listen to the preacher, and believe every word that he or she says. After all, he's standing at the front, so it must be true. Do you believe what I'm telling you? I encourage you to check it out for yourself. And if I'm wrong, and if Simon's wrong, or anyone it preaches, come and tell them so. Think of how easy, how easy it is to let things slip. It doesn't matter if i missed a mid Midweek Meeting of the church, it's only a prayer meeting and something else is more important. Do you say to yourself, one Sunday miss won't matter? How easy it is to miss one or two meetings? The danger is that slowly becomes three or four. You have put yourself in danger of exposing yourself to the things of this world. These things are thieves and robbers. How do you know the truth? unless you find them out from God's word. I know I'm being a bit oversimplistic here, I know, but I hope you get the point. When we say Jesus is the gate, we're not talking here of a five-bar gate. I want you to imagine an enclosure with walls. There is no actual gate. When Jesus says he's the gate, I'm led to believe that in those times, the shepherd would sleep across the entrance. So when we say Jesus is a gate, we're actually talking about Jesus being the gate. You need a gate. Jesus is the gate. He's not there to keep you pound up. To keep you, he's there to keep you pound up and safe. If the gate can be opened, but the gate can be opened when dangers are over and we can go out into our green pastures. This passage is for us, the sheep. And I would encourage you to read those passages where it talks about sheep not to think about Jesus but think about you as a sheep. What do you see? Can you see Jesus lying there to protect you? Again, point 4. Who do you think you are? This is an easy one. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, it does not own sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flocks and scatters it. The man runs away because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. And there will be there will shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down. Of my own accord I have authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. And we read that in John ten, eleven. Who do you follow? What voices do you recognize? Do you recognize Jesus' voice? Where do you go for shelter? Do you shelter in Jesus? What characteristics of the shepherd that we can follow? What are the characteristics of the shepherd that must be avoided? I am the good shepherd. The, sheep, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know me. When we talk about sheep in the Bible, it goes way back to Old Testament times and talks about the land of Israel being sheep. In Jesus' day, everybody understood about shepherds and the sheep's well being. Jesus commonly uses shepherding in his speech and in his parables. This becomes a principle to describe the leadership in our everyday life. In Old Testament times, God is the shepherd. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flocks like the shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them. He gently leads those that have young. And that's in Isaiah. Shepherding becomes an image. Explaining the spiritual and principal leadership amongst God's people, for example, in the Old Testament, Moses, David, for it, they were shepherds. Ungodly kings of Israel were commonly called false shepherds. As I said in the last statement, this is all about us, the sheep. Sheep must recognise the voice and be led by the one it feeds them. Now this couldn't be more borne out, and the importance of this in John's own church. False shepherds had infiltrated the ranks of the community, teaching that Christ is not that Jesus is not Christ, deceiving believers and leading them their flock of people out of the church. They employed charismatic authorities supporting their teaching with claims of the Holy Spirit. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirit and see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you will recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come come in flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in this world. That's from John 4. There were shepherds who would want to attack the flock and destroy it. John teaches his followers to recognise the true shepherd and to recognise when they, they truly belong to the, the flock of God. I've got a slide for my next reading. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me down to lie in green pastures. He lies, leads me beside still waters And he refreshes my soul. I don't know what you see when we read those familiar passages. Do you see this behind you? Do you see the sheep on the fields behind Joe's house enjoying themselves on the downs with the lovely green pastures? That's wrong. Totally wrong. You should be thinking of something like that. Doesn't that look lovely compared with what you saw just now? Don't misread the 23rd Psalm. The Bible is not, the whole of the Bible is not set in rolling green fields. It's set in Israel's desert. This is what you should think of. Where from October to March, a good rain will suddenly make the desert bloom with a surprising number of plants and all of those things that make excellent pastures for the sheep. But during the bulk of the year, the desert is inhospitable to life. Water is scarce, food is rare and danger is everywhere. In fact, in the eastern deserts of Judea, cliffs have been eroded and steep drops of up to a thousand foot can be found in places Psalm 23 is an excellent source of what it means to be a competent shepherd. Such leaders, such shepherds can find food, green pastures, quiet waters, safe paths of righteousness and places of safety from danger in the presence of enemies. Competent shepherds must have the skills and tools or else their sheep will become prey for the elements of wild animals in the region, follow the competent shepherd. Follow Jesus. Point number five. We're getting there. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Jesus said to her. Sorry, I'm in number uh, chapter ten now. Eleven. Jesus said to her, "That's Martha. I am the resurrection, the life." The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Martha slightly misunderstands this, so Jesus has to push it a bit further. Your brother will rise again. This can be seen on one level as words of comfort, appealing to the common Jewish belief that in end times Lazarus would would enjoy eternal life but Martha misses entirely the point that Jesus had in mind here his correction leads to one of the most famous and significant i am sayings in John's gospel jesus does not say that he can provide resurrection and life the bible recounts the story of jesus authority over jesus sorry the bible recounts many stories of jesus authority over death For example, the widow's son, uh, Jairus' daughter, etc. But here, Jesus is actually saying that he is the resurrection and the life. In other words, eternal life and rescue from final death is not merely a gift obtained by appealing to God. These are aspects of what it means to live a life in Jesus. This does not mean that Jesus' followers will not die physical death but that means that there's life beyond the grave they will not suffer death in eternity by putting your trust in Jesus you have life now and assurance of life to come point number six Jesus who do you think you are do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me my father's house has many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you, almost so, so you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to me except through no one comes to the father except through me if you really knew me you will know my father as well from now on you know him and have seen him I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Access to the Father in heaven is only through Jesus and no other. He is the only one who can lead his followers back to the place that he has prepared. Those who follow Jesus, who come to the Father through his way, will be the ones who gain eternal life. This verse places Jesus' role of a mediator creating the only avenue to God. Are you going the way of Jesus? There isn't another way. And finally, the bit you've all been waiting for, point number seven. Jesus, who are you? I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You have already cl- you've already you've cl- already you are already clean but of the world but of the world i have spoken to you remain in me as i remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing The vine represented the covenant of God's the covenant people of God, planted and tended by Him. In the Old Testament, Israel was often depicted as a vine or a vineyard, a nation that was bearing no fruit, or not the fruit that God expected. Restore, O God, or restore us, O God Almighty. Make Your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. We read that in Psalm 18. Now, you dwellers of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge between me and the vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have done? For, for, what more could I have done for your vineyard than I have done for it? When I look at it, when I look for good grapes. Why did it yield bad ones? No, I tell you. What I am going to do to my vineyard, I will take away the hedges and will destroy it. I will break down the walls and it will be trampled. That's in Isaiah. In Jesus' time, vineyards were quite cultural as well. Apparently they even appeared on the money at the time. Jesus, likewise, uses the vineyard in his teachings, doesn't he? We read that quite a lot in his stories and his parables. A man had a fig tree in a vineyard and he went to look for the fruit on it, but it did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use the soil? If you're on Jesus, if you are attached to Jesus part of his vine, it's important to remember that you're just one part of that vine. There are other branches growing on that vine. But we've already heard of how the vine's not productive, and Jesus will come and cut it down. So the question I'm asking you this is my last question to you, are you producing fruit? If you're on the vine, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, fulfillness, gentleness and self-control. That's my question, if you're on the vine. I've got a summary. I said, "I am hungry." Jesus said, "I am the bread of life." I said, "I am in darkness." Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I said, I am in danger. Jesus said, I am the gate. I, am in, I said, I am in need of guidance. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I said, I am in, uh, I am in need of insure, assurance. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I said, I am lost. Jesus said, I am I am the way of the I am the way the truth of life. I said I am not productive. Jesus said I am the true vine. So my prayer is that we will grow in Jesus. Thank you.